We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Easter Sunday morning. Uh, how many of you like surprises? Okay. Mostly I see kids' hands going up, right? There's a few, there's a few, right? Um, I could have asked a more specific question, how many of you like jack-in-a-boxes? Yeah, not so much. Like, I, I bring that out like once a year. The rest of the time it sits in the back dark corner of my basement waiting to frighten me when I go looking for like some Christmas decorations or something, right? Um, my guess is your, your answer to that question, how much you like surprises, depends a little bit on the situation, right? But in general, I would guess that, that um, we don't like surprises all that much. Let me ask you this question. How much do you like surprises when you are on a trip or you're traveling? Yeah, not so much, right? Okay, so because here, herein lies the problem, right? When you're traveling, um, you, you try to do everything you can not to have surprises. Do any of you really like planning for trips? Some do, right? And some of the rest of you are like, no, I'm a free spirit, right? Just let it happen. But see, the truth is we, we have to do some planning. Anytime you take any kind of trip, you go to any kind of destination, there's some planning that needs to go into it, right? If you've got a, a whole household of little kids, um, if you're going to a, a foreign country, like all these things take some planning. And why do you do it? Well, in large part to cut down on the surprises. And, and the flip side of that, the reason you plan is so that when you go on that trip, you're going to be able to do and experience the things that you want to do. That makes sense, right? So, so if you're going to go to Disney World, if you're going to go to another country, if you're going to go uh, traveling and looking at, at something historical, on some level you want to say in your head ahead of time, here's what we're going to try to see. And you do that because when you get back home, you want to be able to look back on that journey and say, we invested our time in these things. I got to see these items. Right? I think we get that. Now, Truth is, we can't completely plan away surprises in our lives, right? It happens whether we plan or whether we don't. So surprises are always there, but in large part, I think we try to avoid them. I'm going to tell you a story about four college guys that took a trip to Europe for a month. Did I mention that long trips and foreign destinations should require a degree of planning. Okay. In 1997, myself and three buddies, we were all 20 years old, decided we were going to tour all of Europe in one month. Okay. So it sounded like a great idea on paper. It sounded incredible. It was aspirational. We're going to go see all these things. But can you guess how much planning went into that? Yeah, is there a number less than zero? Because that was about it. So we went on this trip, and we had almost planned nothing. So as you can guess, there were some surprises. So I've got two stories for you here today. You get to determine which of these surprises we liked more and why. Okay? First one, this is the four guys. So um, this is live streaming, actually, and will be forever on the internet, but all four, now that I realize that, um, all four of these guys are pastors, 
uh, in our church body. So, and at least one of them is a pastor down in Thornton. So he will probably find out after this sermon that I put a picture up. This is us on our trip. One of our experiences, actually both of these experiences, generally happened around Heathrow Airport. Here's the second picture. Okay. Now, we're going to compare the two. When we flew into Heathrow in London, that was where we were going to drop into. Um, and then we were going to get a train pass, a Euro pass, and we would go all through Europe. And then we would exit through Heathrow Airport again. I was the first one to go. And did I mention that there was not a lot of planning that happened? <laughs> so I knew I had a ticket. I knew I could get over there. Um, I also meant, did I mention it was 1997? Okay, so no mobile phones, very little access to the internet. So th there wasn't a lot of tools at my disposal. Um, I flew over, I landed at Heathrow Airport. Um, and if you know anything about Heathrow Airport, it's about 45 minutes from downtown London. So London's where we were intending to go, but it's about 45 minutes away. And so if you were to walk from Heathrow to downtown London, it would take you about five hours through kind of some sketchy areas. And so I flew into Heathrow and I got there and I realized I didn't know anybody else's itinerary. I didn't know flight numbers. Um, I, didn't even bar I barely knew what city they were flying into because we were coming in from different places in the U.S., right? We knew a general date, like a day, but that was it. So I landed there. I got off. I had my backpack and I looked around and I thought, huh, how am I going to find these guys? <laughs> like literally, that's the first time it dawned on me was when I stepped into Heathrow Airport. So I'm standing there, and I knew I was the first one at least, and I thought, well, okay, uh, I can't walk into London, that's too far. Uh, I didn't know how to take a cab yet. I was, kinda, I was pretty green at that point. Um, um, and so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to hang out here, and I know there's only certain cities that are coming from America, and so I'll just hang here until they come in. Shouldn't be too long, right? An hour goes, a couple hours, I'm getting a little restless getting a little bit hungry at that point, half a day goes by, I'll cut to the end. I lived in Heathrow Airport for over a day and a half, <laughs> and all I ate was Snickers bars. Now, when you're 20 years old, you can actually survive on that. Um, now, I would just, they'd find me as a pool of mush on the floor, right? But I slept there, I ate Snickers bars, and I just waited for my buddies to show up, okay? About a day, more than a day and a half, I waited till everybody finally piled in. Then we continued our journey. Went through all of Europe. And then we had a story on the way out. By this point, we had become seasoned travelers. By this point, we had accumulated some knowledge, right? right? We, we knew what we were doing at this point. At least you would think we knew what we were doing at this point, because this is a month later. We took the train back to, uh, from France back to London, and uh, that's where the train dropped us off. And we knew, well, our exit is back through Heathrow Airport, so we've got to get back out there. And so by this point, we kind of knew the rail system. We knew the subways. We knew how to look at the stops and follow all those things, and um, we knew how to act like adults in a different city. And so we got on the subway. And we're dead tired, right? This is the end of that month-long journey, dead tired. Uh, we had no money left. 
Um, you can see one of my buddies here, Marty, is just like putting a piece of bread in his mouth <laughs> because that's all we could afford by the end, right? It had been kind of a long trip, but this was it. We're ready to head back to America. So we got on the subway um, and we would gotten into London because we took the last train out of France. That dropped us there. I don't, it was about 1, 1 o'clock, somewhere in there, 1.30. We got on the subway and we started riding and almost everybody fell asleep right away. And remember, it wasn't a long subway trip. It was about an hour, right? So we fell asleep. About half hour into our trip, everything stopped. All the lights came on and the conductor came walking back and like said, you guys got to get off. And we're like, okay, we must be at Heathrow. This seems like a little bit faster than we remembered. And he's like, you got to get off. And then we looked out the doors and we're like, this isn't the airport. <laughs> And so we said to him, why aren't we at the airport? And he said, well, the subway stops running at 2 in the morning. And so this is the last stop. And we looked at him and we said, this can't be the last stop. Like, we didn't make it. <laughs> he said, I don't care. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was 2 in the morning. He had very little, very little uh, um, um, mercy or grace for us. So he shoved us out the doors. We stepped outside and, and uh, we went up, went up the subway and they closed the gates behind us and we just stood there looking at each other. We didn't know where we were at. We knew we hadn't made it to the airport yet and we didn't, really didn't know what to do. So we looked around and there was a BP petroleum gas station. So we went and got Slurpees because they have Slurpees even in London, right, at the BP. We sat down on the curb for a little while, drank a Slurpee, started to get a little bit tired went back to the subway station, and we ended up sleeping in front, of the, uh, in front of the gates at the subway station, and it got cold, so then we put newspapers over the top of ourselves, <laughs> and we waited for them to open. So 4.30, they come to open the gates, and there's four college guys laying on the ground under news newspapers, right? <laughs> got back on, finished our trip to Heathrow, and headed back to America. Which surprise in Heathrow Airport do you think was a little easier to take? It was the first one. Yeah, someone saying neither. They both don't sound very good, right? <laughs> Snickers are good, right? Tr the truth is the first one was a little bit easier. And you want to know why? Because of timing a little bit. In fact, at that point, like, I thought this is an adventure, like living in Heathrow Airport, eating Snickers. This is an adventure, right? Because everything was in front of you. But this final picture, the surprise at the end, not so much, right? And I think that's true for us too, isn't it? You think about your life. If you have done tax planning and two days ago was the tax deadline, and you get to the end of it, and they say you owe twice as much as what you thought, that's not an awesome surprise, is it? Surprises generally are kind of better at the beginning than the end. How about retirement planning? Any of you longing for a surprise on the day that you retire? Ask your financial advisor, huh, how much money do I have in there? Let's find out, right? You don't want that? So I think we recognize that in life, that surprises are, in some part, easier to take on the front end than the back end. At the end, no one wants a surprise. What's true in life and in travel 
is also true for us spiritually. And we, when we consider our life, when we consider this journey, it comes to an end at some point. And we don't want a surprise when we reach there. But here's the good news. That's what Easter is all about. Easter is about taking away the surprise of what happens at the end of your life. Right? Easter and Christ's resurrection is all about no surprises at the end. And that's going to kind of be our theme this morning. As we watch Christ in that empty tomb, we realize as we journey, as our life comes to an end, we don't need to be surprised. We know exactly who's going to be waiting for us there. So let's jump into our text this morning. I've kind of broken it up into three different areas. They're kind of loose, loose areas. Um, but no surprise endings are theme, but we want to talk about three things. What do we need to know? So you're here on Easter Sunday morning. It's good for us to know um, what are the facts, what are the, what's the reality of what we're talking about, of why we even gather on a Sunday. Second one, what do we need to do? So what, um, what comes from this and this news that we're going to hear and lastly, what's the impact, right? So what's the ongoing implications for you in your living on a day-to-day -day basis? That's kind of where we're headed today. First one, we just want to know what we're going to know. You're going to be able to follow along with me if you'd like. You can find it. Uh, our text is going to be either on the screen or you're welcome to open your bulletins. And there's a little spot for notes there too if you've got uh, ideas and thoughts or if, if you're a doodler like I am, you can just scribble on it as well. But. We're going to begin with the very first few verses of our text. Uh, we'll begin with verses 1 through 8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Okay. Three surprising things for the women that came to that tomb on that Easter Sunday morning, right? Number one, as they came, they were fully expecting to find uh, um, the tomb as it had been left. It had been sealed, there had been guards posted, but as they come, the surprise they find is that the stone had been rolled away, okay? Odd, to say the least. Second thing they find when they go inside, it's empty. Christ's body the death that they had saw laid there on Good Friday no longer, right? And the third surprise they got on that Easter Sunday morning were two angels that stood there talking to them. Should they have been surprised? It's hard to say a little bit, right? Would you have been surprised? Okay, I think, I think we can say yes. But here's the real fascinating thing about it. These three surprises uh, the women find, but the angels address each and every one of them. Say, these are things that you should have expected. So let's continue in our text, verses five, or verse 5 and following. It said, in their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So the angels address these three surprises to these women at the tomb, and they bring up these three things. Number one, Jesus said it. He must be delivered, right? He would be uh, arrested, he would be falsely tried and imprisoned. 
Second thing is, he was going to be crucified as a common criminal. This was common within the Roman Empire. This was their, their intimidation tactic. Rows of people would be crucified. Anyone that dared step out of line to the Roman Empire, crucifixion is what, you, what was awaiting you. The angel said, remember, Jesus said he would be crucified. Okay? But then the last one, they said, but he will also be raised again. So the angels, on some level, address the women in the place that they're at, in their surprise, in their fright. They come to them and say, you may have been surprised, but here's the things that Jesus said while he was still alive. He would be delivered, he would be crucified, and he would rise again. On some level, I think the angels were kind of saying to the women, why are you so surprised? Why are you so frightened? You heard these things. Jesus said these things to you, right? And now, the tomb is empty and his body is not here. Some of you know that I grew up in Alaska for the first eight years of my life. Uh, one of the, the uh, best forms of transportation, especially in some of the most remote areas, uh, were float planes and bush, bush planes, right? Bush pilots would fly them. Um, this is a de Havilland beaver, so some of you are pilots I know out here, right? This is a de Havilland beaver. Um, th these are kind of legendary in Canada and in, in Alaska. Um, legendarily strong and adaptable and all those kind of things. My dad told me a story once about when he was flying with a bush pilot in a de Havilland beaver. It was bumpy. The wind gusts would drop them down and up and down and up. Your stomach would be in your throat, right? But he looked, and there was a sticker right up by the pilot in the cockpit. And it simply said this, If I make it, you will too. <laughs> now, now, I don't know if that was a vote of confidence. <laughs> but you get it, don't you? If the pilot makes it, you will too. I think on some level, that's exactly what the angels were saying to those women at the tomb. If he makes it, namely Christ, you will too. And that's what they found at that tomb. Not a dead body, but a resurrected Christ. Now here's the implications of that. The angels addressed three different things. Said he would be delivered, he would be crucified, and he would rise again. But... Jesus' resurrection, his, his uh, dead body not in the tomb, his body alive, opens up everything else that Christ says to us on the pages of Scripture. And so the, the angels address this, but really it opens up two bigger results and things that we have to know about Easter. In fact, I would argue you can't celebrate Easter without knowing these two things about Jesus' resurrection. Number one, your debt has been paid, okay? That's the first one. Your debt has been paid. Now, you might be sitting here saying, like, what debt do I have, Pastor? And maybe that's a legitimate question. You say, what debt do I have? In fact, Pastor, you don't know me very well. I'm a guest here, right? You don't know my life. Or you might say, Pastor, you do know me, <laughs> right? I don't have any debts. I treat people right. I love the people around me. 
I've taken care of my family. I've done my best to do things right. And even when I do things wrong, I try to make up for it and pay, pay people back in the right way. I think there's a temptation there for us to think, what debts do we have? Right? The Bible uses a word called sin. What have we tallied up in our life? I think at times it's a fair question. So I want to start big and I'm going to go small. And we're going to kind of walk through that concept of the debt that we have, right? First one here, everybody is like all other people. Sometimes call this human commonality. I mentioned we're going to start big. We talk about debt. We talk about pain. We talk about suffering. We talk about the Christian concept of sin. We can start out wide. Everybody is like all other people. We call this human commonality. Where do we see that? We can just see that in the world around us. Right? Our president has made statements about the actions of Russia and Ukraine. Right? He said, uh, the war is wrong, and in fact, these are crimes against humanity. And so what is he saying? What is he appealing to when we talk about this human commonality? Big picture that we understand that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. That what is happening and the loss of life in Ukraine is wrong, right? There is right and there is wrong. So that's big picture. We find that across the world. Every culture that you go to, every country that you go to, there is a general sense of there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. In some ways, we call that morality. Sometimes you use the word ethics, right? Big picture, we would say there is a dividing line between those things. Might change a little bit from country to country, but big picture, there is a right and a wrong, okay? But now we come a little bit more narrow. So everybody is like some other people. Sometimes we call this human culture. So what's our human culture? Let's, let's talk America, right? We could even talk, go more narrow and talk Colorado. But human culture has peculiarities and uniqueness to it. So what are the temptations that we may have as a nation? They're probably unique compared to temptations that maybe other nations have. And I'm generalizing, but I would say that there is a greater temptation for us in America with the amount of blessing that we have in general compared to other parts of the, na- of the world, maybe a greater uh, temptation towards arrogance, towards greed, maybe even a little bit of selfishness. Okay? So that's human culture. We started big. We've now come a little bit closer The last one is the one that matters for you and I here this morning on this Easter Sunday. Everybody is utterly unique. We call this human individuality. And that's where each and every one of you is able to look into your own hearts, your own minds, and ask, what have I done right and what have I done wrong? And I think when we get that narrow, even if on some surface level we say, Pastor, I've been a pretty good person, My guess is each and every one of us, including myself, when we look into our heart of hearts, realize that there's a lot of times I'm not a very good person. In fact, there's a lot of times when maybe I do or say the thing that's supposed to be said, and yet my heart and my mind is thinking something exact opposite. I think when we look into our own lives, we find broken promises. We find pain that we have caused against others. We find sin in ourselves, don't we? 
And this is an interesting one. When we talk about human individuality, where you are weak or tempted is slightly different for each and every one of you. I heard someone recently say that, that uh, um, the, the sin that we need to, be, to resist is not the ones that we abhor, right? So the sin that, that, that uh, we need to resist are not the ones that we, we don't like, that we can't stand, that is very easy for us to point out in other people. Actually, the sins that we need to watch out for are the ones we kind of like, right? They're the, they're the ones that don't totally make sense to us, even though God's word is clear about it. They're the sins that, that we kind of conveniently don't want to have to follow what God has said. Those are the ones and those are the places that Satan tempts us. Not the ones we can't stand, but the ones that kind of strike close to home. The ones we like, the ones we justify, the ones we become used to doing, the ones that we stop even thinking about. And so we talk about our debt. The truth is, each and every one of us have racked up debt. We call it sin. Not only against the people that we love in our community, our neighbors, but most importantly, with our God above. And that's why Jesus came. He came for your debt. That's why Jesus' resurrection is important to know because his life means that your debt has been paid. Not through your death, not through the blood of, of, of your body, but through Christ. As his arms were outstretched on that cross, Christ's death has paid your sin debt. You are forgiven because of him. That's the first thing the angels were trying to open up to the women at the tomb, right? They addressed their initial surprise, but there were far bigger things that were happening. Because if Jesus was not dead in that tomb, then that means that the debt that you have incurred is gone. It is no more. It is paid for. Paid for by Jesus Christ. That's one of the biggest things. The second one? Not only is your debt paid for, but death has been swallowed up. Death is no more. There is no surprise waiting for you at the end of your life because Christ has walked through that door on your behalf. Do you remember our first reading uh, in, uh, this morning from 1 Corinthians? The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives you the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the angels addressed the surprise of the women, but they really are addressing you and I here today. And those two things are the reality that comes from Easter. Your debt has been paid, and eternal life is yours. We need no longer fear death or the grave because Christ walked through it and into eternity on our behalf. Remember I said surprises at the end are not awesome? You won't be surprised at the end of your, of your life. As you walk in Christ and with Christ, there is no doubt that as you close your eyes in death, you will open them to your Lord and Savior and eternity above because He has paid your debt and he has conquered death on your behalf. That's what you need to know about Easter. Now, what do we do about it? 
Good question. Continue with our text. It says, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Two things. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So what do you need to do as you leave here on this Easter Sunday morning? We'll let angels tell us. (laughs) Remember. Simply remember. (laughs) What specifically? That sin has been paid for. And that makes a huge difference. When the ending is certain and secure, it can change your beginnings. When you have no doubt and there is no surprise of where you are headed, you want to know what it does? It changes your here and now. To some degree, that's what the the angels were asking the women to do. Simply remember. What does that look like? Knowing that Christ lives and you will live too because he paid for your sins allows you to weather and, and, and walk through the difficulties of this life in a little different way. When you encounter pain and sorrow, maybe loss of life, loved ones, when you suffer, and we all do in different ways, when your mind races with worry or anxiety, when you encounter blatant injustice and systems in your world that seem to work against you rather than for you like they are built to do, when you run into disappointment and job loss and struggle, what do you get to do? Remember. Remember that the end is certain. Remember that heaven is your destination. Remember that Christ knew suffering and he knew pain. Remember that Christ walks with you through it. Even when it looks as though there is no sense to it, God says, I will use that pain and that suffering ultimately for your good. He says, remember. Remember that you're not alone. Your destination is heaven, but I haven't said, good luck getting there. God says, your destination is heaven, and I'm going to walk with you until you get there. Every single step of the way, remember. Remember my love, remember my forgiveness, remember my faithfulness, remember that I turn even bad things into good things for you. Remember. That's how the ending can change the here and now. And lastly, what impact does that mean for us? Let's listen to the women's words. When they came back from the tomb... They told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. What did those women do? They told. Because if there's good news, you want to tell it. And so they went back and they told the good news. And who were they with? The disciples. People whom they knew with their family and with their friends and with the people that they cared about. I think that's important for us as well. When you know your debt has been paid and death has been swallowed up, we get the opportunity to actually speak it, to share it, 
to live it in our words, in our actions, in our lives as believers. You get to convey all the realities and the depth of who Jesus Christ was for you on the cross. That sins are forgiven. There is no surprise at the end. And in fact, the here and now, Christ walks with you as well. You get to speak it. You get to live it. You get to share it. And it's interesting because they got to do that with their friends. (laughs) People whom they loved and love. And you get to do the same. One last story. One last surprise from the European trip, 1997. This is a picture of the band U2 at their concert stop in Prague in the Czech Republic. Okay? Once again, how much planning went into our trip? Almost none, okay? Do you think we planned to be able to find a concert of U2 in Prague? No. We were tired, and so we went to McDonald's, because McDonald's is usually the only place that people speak English. So we went in and, like, got a Big Mac, and on the wall we saw a poster that said, like, U2 is coming to Prague. And we're like, huh, wonder when they're coming. We looked, and we're like, oh, tomorrow. Like, I wonder if there's any tickets available. So we went, sure. Lots of tickets. So we bought tickets for you too. We didn't have any place to sleep at that point, so we thought, hey, let's just go bum around at the stadium and wait for this concert to begin. So we got there before everybody else, and we had no problem just kind of sitting on the ground and sleeping once in a while. We waited there, and all of a sudden, people started coming and coming and coming. They opened up the gates, and all kinds of people started running. And we're like, what is going on? So we're like, let's run. Like, we had literally no idea, but like, you're 20 years old and people are running, so you run. Like, we're like, we can run, and when we wanted to win. I didn't know what we were winning, but, <laughs> so we ran, we ran, right? So they opened the gates and we ran, and if you can see real close, there is an inner ring there right in front of the stage. As it turns out, uh, they allowed in, I think, the first 100 people into that inner ring right up against the stage, and we made it. <laughs> Who needs to plan anything, right? <laughs> We get into this inner ring, and we're like, great, we're going to be able to watch, uh, watch you too. Um, and, and so we sat there for like the next five hours or something like that, like holding our spots. Um, but there's only about 100 people in that inner circle. And as we're there, kind of looking around, and it's fun to people watch, and these, these are lots of folks from Czech Republic, from Prague, looking around, and all of a sudden, like I see a guy that's like six foot five, right? So he's, he's, he's tall, he's big. And I look at it, and I like do a double take, and I'm like, like, I think I know that guy. I'm like, surely I can't know that guy. I'm in Czech Republic. I look closer. I'm like, I went to school with that guy. <laughs> As it turns out, of the 100 people in that circle on that day, there were three or four other Lutheran teachers that had gone through college with us in that circle. <laughs> we're like, what in the world? How did you guys get here? And they're like, uh, we, we teach... We teach uh, English at the Lutheran school here. How did you get here, right? We chatted with them. uh, And what did they do? Well, they invited us to their place, which was great because we did not have any place to live yet. Okay? So we got free lodging. They also took us out to eat, and we dined like kings. At that point, we had been eating lots of bread. Okay? 
They gave us personalized tours of their city. They lived in Pilsen uh, in the Czech Republic, uh, took us on brewery tours, like just hosted us. And so you know what you do when people are that nice to you and lots of stuff is remarkably cheap and free? Well, you extend your stay, of course. <laughs> so what was supposed to be two days in the Czech Republic turned into five. That was a surprise that was worth finding. But I think it also gives us a little insight into what is waiting for us, what is waiting for you at the point of your death and in eternity. Far better than a U2 concert or a bunch of grubby college friends. But heaven. Gates of heaven opened up, family and friends, and most importantly, your Lord and Savior welcoming you into your house, into your home, and into eternity. That's the joy of Easter. No surprise ending. Joy, comfort, and resurrection until we get there. Amen.